We're in the uh, fourth week of a six-week series called How to Get Through What You're Going Through. And we've been talking about the stages that we go through in life when we um, when something happens to us tragic in our life or something that we're not expecting. Uh, they're going to be called stages or responses to major loss in life. And um, one of the things I want to say as we start off is that these aren't necessarily, as we've talked about these stages already, I'm going to review it just in a minute, uh, they're not necessarily always linear, meaning that they don't always, you, you go through one and then you finish that when you go to the next and you finish, that doesn't, isn't the way it always works. Sometimes you can go through multiple stages and be in multiple stages uh, pretty quickly or at the same time and actually repeat some stages as well. But uh, that's part of the deal. Well, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about the first stage, that when something happens to us, the first thing that happens when something unexpected happens to us uh, is that we, we're in shock. We feel The feeling we have is numbness. Uh, and, and at that thing, we, we cry out to God. We don't know what to do. And at that time, I talked about how often we really need people in our life. We need to let others help us in that time. And we talked about how to help other people who are going through that as well. So you can go back, if you weren't here, go back and listen to the podcast of that by going to our greatoakscc.org website, and, and all of them are there as well. The second stage uh, was we talked about after the shock is sorrow. And in sorrow, what you do is you feel grief. And, and we said that grief is not necessarily a bad thing. Actually, grief is a good thing that we need to go through. It's a thing that God uses in our lives to help us to get through the shocks of life and the things that, uh, that we go through. But we feel sad when we go th- through grief. And you go through grief. You can't just get over it, uh, uh, the, the thing that happened, uh, because we feel pain. And uh, you, you must grieve in order to move on in life. We talked about how often what happens in our life is we don't want to grieve. We, want, we don't want to deal with it. And, if, and, and so often what we want to do is we want to stuff it, and you perpetuate the pain that way by stuffing the grief that you need to go through. And when you stuff it, uh, so often what we realize is your stomach keeps score when you stuff it. You've been there, right? You, you try to pull it back, and, and your stomach keeps the score, and, and, and you feel it physically. And in sorrow, one of the things you want to do is you want to not only got to go through it, but not, not around, you've got to also list the losses you've never grieved. We talk about that, about being honest about the, there's things in life. Maybe I'm stuck in it happened years ago and I've never grieved those losses or, and you've got to identify what you've really lost and you need to ask Jesus to heal your broken heart. So that was the second week. And then the second stage is, uh, is sorrow. Then last week we talked about the third thing that happens. Once we get through the initial shock and once you get through the initial sorrow and you're in the process of grieving, one of the things you have to do is we come to a stage called struggle. And in struggle you feel anger or frustration or fear or one, any of those things. And I've talked to you about a way of, of praying that so often we've never learned. And that is what we call laments. Laments. The Bible calls them laments. The whole book of, of, uh, in the Old Testament called Lamentation is a lament. Uh, and, and 65 of the 150 psalms are laments. There, there are times when we cry out to God, and the lament can uh, go, kind of goes like this. It's, it's a complaint to God. And, and as you look at the, the pattern of laments in Scripture, you see that, first of all, people complain to God. They tell God what you think is unfair or painful. Uh, the second thing that happens in a lament is usually then we appeal to God's nature. We, we, we're reminded of who God is, and that's good. It's for our benefit, not God's benefit, that we appeal to God's uh, His nature. And then we remind God of what He said. If we have studied God's Word and we know what He said, His promises, and there's over 7,000 promises in Scripture uh, that God gives us, then we remind it of God's promises. And, and, and you see that in the laments of Scripture. And the thing that laments lead us to, though, is that eventually to expressing, expressing our total trust in God. 
Uh, I've been reading through back, reading back through the Psalms, especially identifying the Psalms of lament. And I got to one of the very first ones, cha- of Psalm four, um, the other day. And I was, I was, uh, this was on uh, Wednesday. Uh, and, and as I was on Wednesday, think about the timing of this as I talk about the lament. I decided to, I was reading Psalm 4, and I, said, I was going like, you know, I'm, I'm going to lament to God. Because there's something that I'm not really happy about. And so this is what my lament sounds like. And you can lament too. Lament, it's all right to complain to God if it leads you complain to God, not about God. Okay? Complain to God. So this is my lament. Answer me when I call you, my righteous God. Give me distress, relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will the skies turn gray? How long will the snow fall? How long will the wind swell and the earth remain frozen beneath my feet? The Lord hears when I call to him. I know that. Lord, when will this end? When will the warmth of the sun shine on my face again? Fill my heart. Let me be filled with joy. Let the flowers blossom again. In peace, God, I want to lie down and know that you are God alone and you make me dwell in safety. For you remind me, O God, you remind me, O God, that soon it will be spring. That's a lament, okay? Lament is complaining. I was complaining to God. I really was. I was kind of ticked. A while ago, uh, I was out in the lobby after I did the first service, and one of the guys that uh, really connected and everything, he, I don't know if he saw this on Facebook or he actually did this or whatever. He had a, a video, uh, I guess it's on YouTube or something, of a kid, like a four-year-old kid. I don't know if you've seen this or not, or maybe that's, they took it of their kid. I don't know. Uh, but the, the hilarious thing was this, this little kid, he was out shoveling snow, and you can hear the stuff, and, he's, and he throws his shovel down. He's like four years old. He throws it down. He goes, ugh, ugh. And then he looks up in the sky. And when he looks up in the sky, he goes, Jesus, when are you going to make it warm? And I thought, that kid was lamenting. That's what he was doing. Um, now he was complaining to God. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, lamenting, it's all right to do that because we need to be honest with God. And when I grew up in the church, I was taught to pray, and I was taught to pray, you know, kind of like pattern-like things to help me remember, you know, I remember acrostics. Uh, maybe you've learned this one, Acts for praying, A-C-T-S, that when you pray, you do adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication, you'll understand, that means basically asking God for stuff. And I was taught, well, you know, there's no place in that in that prayer pattern for laments. And I'm going like, well, there's there's 65, 65 psalms. Lamentations and tons of places in the Bible where people lamented. So it must be an honest to goodness prayer. And so uh, we need to learn to lament as well, to be honest with God, because we need to, in our struggles, uh, learn to speak to God in a way that's honest so that we can get through this time. Now today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the fourth, the fourth thing that will help us once we get through the struggle as we're struggling with things in life. The fourth is this. It was, the fourth S is surrender. Surrender. Surrendering is the pathway to peace. After you've gone through this, this shock and you've gone through the sorrow and you've gone through the struggle, you need to get to a place where you finally surrender. And surrender is, is not just giving up, okay? Surrender has a pattern in Scripture. And, and when we go through the pains in our life, there's three choices when bad things happen. We have three choices about how we respond to the bad things in life. You can either let it destroy you. You can either let it define you. Or you can let it develop you. And I will tell you, the only one that's, that's helpful is to develop you. Because you don't want it to define you or destroy you. You want, it to, you want to go through and get through it. So surrender is, is the process that we must go to, to get to the place where it develops you. And today what I want to do is I'm going to specifically look at a, a passage in the Old Testament 
from uh, a guy that we probably, even if you don't grow up in church, you probably heard of, King David, who wrote most of the Psalms. And David uh, had lost a son. In this passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, is a passage that, that helps us to understand some things about how to deal with the losses in life. How to, how to get through the stages of surrendering to God in a way that's productive and helps us to develop us. And that's what I want to encourage you today to, to listen to and to think about. Because scripture, every scripture is written to help us. It says it actually in Romans 15, 4. It says, everything written in the scriptures was written to teach us in order that we might have hope. And so that's what I want you to do today. I want you to have hope that no matter what you've gone through, what you're going through, that you can have hope in what you do. Now, the story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and you have your Bible today, or if you have your, your uh, iPhone or your Android or your iPad or whatever you read the Bible on, um, turn to 2 cha- uh, Samuel chapter 12. We'll be looking at this passage, and that's where we're going to hang out today for a few minutes talking about this. Um, it's, it's a great passage. And l- let me just read the first few verses and, and kind of bring you up to date. What had happened up right before this is that David had had an affair with a lady named Bathsheba. And the outcome of this affair was a child. And it was done, everything was done wrong. Everything was done wrong. He actually had the, the husband of Bathsheba killed. He didn't kill him himself, but he had him killed. He allowed him to go on the front lines and stuck him out there and kind of left him by himself, and he was killed. And if you can read that story in the Bible as well. And, and then he took Bathsheba to be his wife, and, and she had this baby. And so this is what had happened. And then we come to Second Samuel chapter 12. This, uh, David begged God to spare the child because his child, his child had become very, very ill. And it says he went without food because he was, he, was, uh, he was begging God to spare his child. He was lamenting. And he went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. And the leaders of the nation pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the baby died. Then it says this, David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He was so broken up about the baby being sick, they said, what will he do to himself when we tell him the child is dead? Isn't, that's kind of a normal response. These people cared for David. They didn't want to see David. They knew how, how heartbroken he was, and, which was natural. But here he was. They said, well, if, we, if he knows the child is dead, uh, what's going to happen? But when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the baby dead, he asked. Yes, they replied. Now, the next few verses teach us the six things about surrendering to God about what it means to surrender to God. It's not about giving up. It's about doing some productive things that will help us to get through the time that we're going through. And God wants us to get us to that point. Not only do we have the shock and the, and the sorrow and the struggle in life and, and lament to God, but God wants us to take us to a new place. And so these are the six things that I saw modeled in the life of, of David here that help us to understand clearly what surrender really is all about. The first one is this. The first uh, thing I saw was this. If we're going to surrender, we have to accept what can't be changed. We need to accept what can't be changed. You know, one of the things that happens, I found in life, is when people receive bad news, what do they first say? Many people in shock. They're just going like, I can't believe it. No, that could have happened. That's the way we are in shock, right? But what happens is, uh, what happens is slowly reality sets in. We can't deny it anymore. And the reality is surrender involves accepting reality. This is what it says. This is how David said this. Remember, he had been weeping, he'd been fasting, he'd been down on the ground, he'd been uh, during the time when the baby was sick, and now that the baby was dead, this is what it says he did. David said, uh, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I thought perhaps the Lord would be gracious and let the child live. 
But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? You know, that seems harsh in some ways, but at the same time, David still felt, felt, was still mourning, but acceptance doesn't mean you stop caring. It doesn't mean that you stop caring. Acceptance doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Acceptance doesn't mean you think the loss was good for some strange perverted reason. Acceptance doesn't mean, it just means you can't change it. And you have to accept that you can't change some things. Let me ask you a question. What are some things what do you, new, do you need to accept that's over? There's some things in life that some people cling on to hoping that it'll change and it's over. And so their whole life is just stuck in a place. I mean, sometimes people have, you know, they lost a job and you're still hoping they'll get the job. Well, sometimes it's just over and you got to move on. Uh, a relationship, sometimes, you know, I mean... I know in, in regards to relationships, you know, we hope that we can mend relationships, but sometimes it's just over. And we have to accept that and get on. Sometimes it's the seasons of life. You ever been to a high school reunion? Anybody ever here ever been to a high school reunion? I've been out of high school a good while, okay? Over 40 years. I've never been to my high school reunion, not any of them. I will never go. I went to my wife's high school. I think it was a 20, 25th reunion or something like that, 20th, something like that. I don't remember exactly. But I went there. And you know what people do at high school reunions? They still talk about what they did in high school. Like it's, you know, like I'll play. You remember that play? You know? You know? And, and they do this all this dumb stuff. And I'm looking at them and I'm going, and these are all, my wife went to the same school I went to, but she, she's five years younger than I am. Yeah, I married a younger lady. And get over it. And the thing is, and the thing is, is that she went to the same school, but she's five years behind me. So nobody that I knew in her class was in, you know, I didn't even know them. They, I was out of school before they were in eighth grade. And so we go there and all these people are reliving their high school days, you know, and I'm looking at them and it's 20 years later and I'm going like, look in the mirror, dudes. You're not on the football team anymore. You didn't make the play. You, you know, I mean, this is life now. Get over it. Get past it. Sometimes we just have to accept we can't change anything. And so often we just live in the past. Sometimes we get through a season of life. I mean, the thing is, is it's, folks, I mean, the seasons of life we've been through, we have to rejoice in what we've done, but we have to get on with life. Sometimes it's simply the past, both the good and the bad. It's over. It's never coming back. Sometimes we've had a dream, and the dream has not happened and it's probably not going to happen if it's been years. And so what do you do? Do you just get stuck there? No, you dream a new dream. And so the, the reality is that sometimes the first step we see here with, with, with David is accept what can't be changed. So what do you need to bury? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to, to, to stop waiting to happen? Don't get stuck there. David didn't get stuck there. Still, he, he still was mourning, but he, he got past it. But in spite of that, the second point is this, and I see this is just as important. The second thing we need to do is remember it's not the end of the story. Surrendering means not only do we say, okay, I'm going to not get stuck in the past, I'm, not, I'm going to accept that I can't change it, but remember it's not the end of the story. This is what David said in 2 Samuel 12, 23. He says, talking about his son, he says, I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. He understood that his son would not be there, but he knew that there was more than here and now. You know, I've read scripture, 
And if you've read scripture, the thing is that the Bible says God promises us a future and a hope. And he wants that hope to be positive. Yes, it will not be the same because of the losses we've had in life. But God wants us to go on with life, accept what cannot be changed, and realize that it's, it's not the end of the story. He still has a purpose for our life. So often when we go through loss, what it is, we get so stuck, we have a short-term vision, and all we can see is what's right in front of us. And we need to get to the place where we say, God, I'm going to trust you that you have a plan for my life beyond today. You know, one of the things that sometimes people have a problem with that and saying that and getting past the, the present is because they think that something wrong, uh, they think that they're, if, if they forget, they're forgetting a loved one because they want to go on with life. And that's not true at all. We often are guilt, we have this guilt and we think, and we get stuck. But, but remember, God has a plan for the rest of your life and it's beyond today. Uh, you know, grieve now, go through the grief, but remember God has a a plan for the rest of your life, no matter what's going on in your life. I can tell you, looking back on the losses of life, I, and at the time I'm thinking, oh man, my life is just over. But it's not, it wasn't. And there, were, there were good things ahead. It was not the same, but there were good things ahead. So remember, it's not the end of the story. The third thing I see in David's story here is this. And this is kind of very, very essential, but it's hugely important that if we're going to surrender and get on with life we need to take care of yourself you need to take care of yourself uh it says this the david got uh, got up from the ground he washed himself he put on lotions and changed his clothes grief has a way uh, grief and loss have a way of removing the desire to take care of herself i mean who cares what you wear who cares about personal hygiene who cares about any of those things when you go through a loss i mean we just kind of give up on things sometimes but it says here, basic things like sleep become a challenge. Shock paralyzes us. But King David gives us insight into healthy mourning and the tension it brings. And, and he says sometimes you just need to get up and do it because sometimes it's just symbolic. One of the things that I found in life that so often happens is when people go through, sometimes they have to be motivated. Friend, good friends will make them do things. You don't feel like it. But, you know, to get out and do stuff again. Let me tell you, one of the healthiest things you can do, I don't care if it's your, you're in loss or you're, 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 uh, or you're going through regular life, is to exercise. You don't feel, I, let me tell you, folks, I, I don't, I know some of you guys are exercise junkies, okay? I mean, you go out and you run and, and you work out and you're going like, man, it makes me feel so good. I'm not one of those people. Because, I know Dana's out running. I run, 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 run. Dana runs when she was like nine months pregnant. I was, you know, I was going like, a, I never seen anybody run so much. I mean, she must really like it a lot, that's all I can say, you know. My wife, I mean, she actually says, oh, it makes me feel good. I'm going like, makes me hurt. You know, that's all it does. But I do it anyway. Why? Because I know that it's good for me. It actually releases, and I can get the doctors here to tell us all the things it releases in your body. It's serotonin and all that kind of wonderful things, you know. Uh, endorf- I don't know if it releases endorphins. I don't even know what they are. It sounds like Smurfs or something. I don't know. But, uh, but the reality is it does good things for you. Take care of yourself because when you go through a time, surrendering to God is not just giving up. It's going, God, I can't do anything about the past. I know that you have a future for me, but I've got to take care of myself in the present. So you've got to do that as well. And that's what David did. He understood that. He got up, took a bath. Yeah, he didn't feel like it. I'm sure he didn't feel like it. It's probably the day, that day or the day after his son died. But he did it anyway because he knew it was something that was helpful 
to surrender to God. Number four, the fourth thing he did was focus on God through worship. It says this, then after he did all these other things, then he went to the tabernacle and he worshiped the Lord. The thing I found about this for the person who's a believer in Christ, worship clarifies and calms. It clarifies and calms. I'm not saying, yeah, you need to get back in church, but I'm not talking about worship at church. I'm talking about when you get connected with God. How do you connect with God the most? Think about it right now. For me, being connected with God usually means I'm out in nature somewhere. You know, I, when I lived on the East Coast and I lived in Roanoke, Virginia all those years, we were only 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes from the Appalachian Trail. I don't know how much, I, I really miss that now, I really do. I mean, there's, you know, we, we call them mountains around here. There's no mountains in Illinois. Uh, there's, there's molehills, uh, and, you know, just little tiny mounds, you know, we call them river bluffs. And, and, you know, places like that. But there, man, it was mountains, it was majestic. You get up there and you look down, you're going, woo, you know, way down there. Now, people from Colorado think that Virginia mountains were kind of minor, but, you know, they were pretty cool mountains, you know. But the issue is, is when, when, for me to worship God, I can tell you that the greatest times of worship for God, for me personally, is when I was out hiking on the Appalachian Trail. I'd get to a promontory, and I'd get to this place, and I'd look down and just sit there for hours, just being quiet. For me, that was worship. It may be music for you. It may be, you know, being in some majestic place. I don't know what causes you to worship, what causes you to connect with God. But whatever it is, one of the things you need to do is you need to focus on God through worship. Sometimes we not only pull away from people, but we pull away from God during times of loss. Uh, David said this later in Psalms, in Psalm 73, he says this, he was going through a tough time. He says, I tried to understand all this, but it was too hard for me to see until I went into the temple of God then I understood. Worship, when we get connected with God, it clarifies things. I'm not saying God has ever spoken to me directly, but things come much more clear when I focus and be quiet before God. So how do you connect with God? You need to reconnect with God in a time of loss. That's part of the surrender process. Say, God, I can't do anything about the past, but I want to connect with you because I want to know what you want to have me do in the future. The fifth step that David took in his recovery was this. And this is something that I'll encourage people to do all the time. There comes a point in time in your process where you need to do something productive. You need to get back to doing something productive. Yeah, you need to grieve for a while, but grief, grief, you can still mourn and do something productive. When we get hit with an unexpected loss, it's paralyzing. You get stuck, and it's okay to ask for help. Uh, truthfully, one of the best things that friends can do for friends that are going through loss is eventually to push them to do some things productive in their life. You know, it says here that David, it says this in 2 Samuel 12, 20, it says, after that, after he did all these other things, David, he returned to the palace and he ate. He returned to the palace. What's the big deal? What was the palace for David? He was the king. It was his place of work. It's the place where he was productive and doing something. I was listening to the, uh, the series I shared with you that I listened to the series and, and this, this whole thing from Rick Warren. And I shared with you back in April of last year, Rick Warren lost a son. Uh, he, was, he was 27 years old to suicide. And one of the things I remember Rick Warren saying is this. He said, after two months, I finally was writing in my journal and I looked down and I wrote this. I says, I don't have to stop mourning to start moving. I don't have to stop mourning to start moving. He realized that one of the healthiest things that you can do 
is to start moving in life once again. Do something productive. That usually takes a step of faith, no matter what we've been through. One couple in, in this church that we've got, my wife and I have gotten to know really, really well, is Rob and Susie Brown. Uh, Rob and Susie have been friends with ours for a couple of years now. My wife is in her small group. Rob's in my small group. And so we've gotten to know them real connected and, and got to know them. And, and I got to know their story. And I always appreciate Susie particularly. She's very, she's very great. Uh, two do- totally different ways of knowing them. I get to know Susie by her blog. She writes a great blog. She's one of the greatest, one of the best writers, just, just really does a great job with writing. And so I don't read a lot of blogs, but I read Susie's when she blogs. And, and so I've got to know her that way, plus, you know, spending time with her. And I've got to know Rob by listening to him on the radio. He's also called Rob, Scott Wheeler on WCIC. And in doing that, uh, I've gotten to know some of the story. And so I knew some of the story of Susie and some of the things that had gone on with her. So I'd ask her if she would do a testimony uh, for this series. And so uh, they're actually out of town this weekend. But this earlier this week, she came in and she videotaped her testimony about some of the things that God has done, how she's taken a step of faith, and how she's moved on from some of the losses in life that she's had. So let's watch her testimony right now. going to share a little bit of my story with you. The things I'm about to share, I don't share for the sake of sympathy, but rather for the glory of God. I'm not sharing my testimony this morning because I have confidence in myself. No, quite the opposite. My confidence is only in the Lord. I grew up in a loving home. It wasn't perfect, but I always knew I was loved beyond words. I had a constant companion growing up who still resides with me today, anxiety. Walking through life with such a friend as this has profoundly affected my faith. It causes me to draw close to the Lord on an hour-by-hour basis. Without Him, I cannot breathe. Christ alone is my rock. No one else can ever take His place. For the sake of time, I'm going to focus on the last three years of my life. My story isn't about my losses, but rather about how God has refined my heart through them. I believe life is a journey, and it is only through suffering that we find our deepest treasures. It is only when we turn to Him that we become more Christ-like. That, I believe, is the purpose of our journey. I was 48. I lost my church home, the only church family my children had ever known. I was a youth leader, and when a new pastor arrived, he wanted to get rid of me. My youngest had gone off to college. Ready or not, we were empty nesters. My heart was broken. Something was terribly wrong with my mother. We later realized it was the onset of Alzheimer's. I was empty and broken. My emotional wound from the pastor, the new pastor, was too much for me. I was now 49. It was a Sunday night, and we had just gotten in bed. My husband put his arm over me to kiss me goodnight and exclaimed, What is this? Boom, we were on a new journey. By the end of the week, I had a diagnosis. Aggressive breast cancer out of nowhere. Our rug was ripped out from under us. 
our new unwanted journey began. First chemo, then a double mastectomy, and then radiation. I really wasn't ready for this, but who ever is? As I battle cancer, I walk a fine line of perseverance, fight, versus surrender. I must persevere for my loved one, but I must surrender at the same time. Daily, I place myself in the mighty palm of God's hand. Hourly, I turn to Him. This past August, my beloved mother passed into, the, into heaven. Her dying was amazing and that I could sense that God had completely healed her mind before he ever took her home. I miss her, but I know she is where she belongs, with my dad dancing in heaven. She lives on in me. On November 17th, I stood in this very building in the storm shelter. I was surrounded by church members in the ladies' bathroom when I learned my neighborhood had been hit by a tornado. As I looked in the mirror, I saw tears of sweat form on my brow. Something strange was going on inside me, and I couldn't really process it. My husband and I went home. As we drove into the outskirts of our neighborhood, we realized something catastrophic had happened. We parked a mile and a half from our home. On this unseasonably balmy day, we began a new journey through the rubble. With every step we took, I worried that my home would still be standing when all of my neighbors were gone. That worry was short-lived. As we approached our home, it was recognizable, but it was destroyed. I was thankful that day. I liked the outfit I wore to church. It was now the only outfit I owned. Our dog greeted us at the door. He was wagging his tail. Our cat survived too. We were in shock. Our neighborhood looked like hell on earth to me. Our home was temporary and now it was gone. What was once my home sweet home became unbearably cold and unfriendly. It became a nightmare. During this time of shock, people came to our rescue. One of my besties and her husband left a cruise ship to come home and help us. Church members took us in. Random people showed up and helped clear debris. People prayed, people brought food, people loved us, people saved us. So as this story comes to its close, if you take anything away from it today, I hope you will see the presence of God in my life. Without him, I really don't know where I would be. In three short years, I've lost my church home, my health, my beautiful mother, and now my home. In three short years, I've learned that God's presence is greater than any miracle. I've been assured that my mother resides happily in heaven, completely healed. I've come to call this church home, my home, and I love my new church family. We will soon be moving into a new home only five minutes away. God is a God of restoration. He has restored all of my losses in his fashion, far greater than I could ever have imagined. Through my trials, my faith has deepened, and I'm thankful for my losses because I wouldn't trade the depth of my relationship with the Lord for anything, not even a clean slate of health or a new home. If you lay your losses at the feet of Jesus, something miraculous happens.
good comes from them that is far richer than you've ever known. As I continue this journey called life, I am now facing more health issues and the loss of my dignity. I have an inherited neurological disease which is progressing slowly. It has been exacerbated from my cancer treatments. It is humbling. I don't know what's in store for me on this earthly life, but I do know that as long as my Savior walks with me, I am okay. He is better than any miracle because other problems are sure to arise. He, however, is steadfast. He is eternal. Grief nev never leaves you where you started, does it? It, uh, it may lead into creating a new world for you as it d has done with Susie and with Rob. And if you're still mourning, I'm going to say you need to start moving. And if you're still grieving, I'm going to say you need to start growing. And I, if you're still hurting, I'm going to say you need to start healing. And if you feel awful and sad, you need to take a next step. Because God has a future for you and a purpose in your life. The last step that I saw in, in David's life was this, that even in spite of our pain, and as we surrender our life to God, we need to keep on loving even in our pain. We need to keep on loving even in our pain. When you lose someone or something devastating happens to you, uh, what happens is so often we pull into our shell, and their natural, natural reaction is to pull away. And it's heartbreaking, the things that go through, but do not let that keep you from continuing to love and to, and to be loved. There is a way in life, truthfully, that you can not have pain. You know what it is? Have no love. Because love opens you to pain. But the reality is that God tells us, and we've talked about this a thousand times at Great Oaks, is this, the purpose in the great commission, a great commandment of our life is what to love God and to love people. And if we don't continue to do that, what happens is we lose purpose in life. We have no purpose in life anymore. And so we need to keep on loving even in your pain. And so often in life when something happens, and uh, I know, I've known people have gone through and tried to have kids, and, and they can't have kids, and, and, and I would say, I, that's, I'm sorry, but redirect your love. There's 137 million orphans in this world. And I'm sure all of them would love somebody to love them. And if love is blocked in some way in your life and people reject your love, redirect it in some way because there's plenty of places to love. David, when he got to the end of this passage, it says in verse 24, then David comforted Bathsheba. After all these things, he comforted Bathsheba's wife and he slept with her and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. And if you know anything from Scripture, Scripture says that Solomon became the wisest and richest man in all of history. Something good came out of something bad. Jesus himself knows what it is to have love, have love rejected and to keep loving through the pain. It says in 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. The path to peace, the path to growth in our life is the path of surrendering our fears, our hurts, and our pain to God. Many of us know the serenity prayer, or at least we know part of the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer goes this way, and this is the part we've heard. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, 
the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That's what most people think is the serenity prayer. That's only the first couple of lines of the serenity prayer because this is the rest of the prayer. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting in your will that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. That's the whole serenity prayer. God wants us to surrender to him. And it doesn't mean giving up. It means going forward with him. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me this morning. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.